Welcome to another CornerCast podcast. I'm your host, Khalil. And on this very special episode of the CornerCast, we have a guest that has been on multiple times. Uh, Farrell Bolding is returning with us. You can find him at farrellbolding.com. Uh, various Instagram and Twitter handles. I'll post everything in the links to everything in the article, in the post. You can find him all over doing his work, uh, which is great work. And so, Pharaoh and I sat down to have a talk, and I named it a very special episode because, well, it comes up in conversation, and I think it fits very well. It's not your typical toy podcasts, although we do talk a little bit about superheroes and toys at some point. We focused a lot on what's going on in the world today. Pharaoh has been, I would consider him a fairly close friend, somebody I trust a great deal. I've come to know, uh, had really great discussions with, and his point of view and the work that he does in HR and um, I don't I don't think political activist is a good word for it but uh, all the work he does in HR in the companies that he's worked for as well as all his work in his community in Washington has been inspiring and in some days led me to tears, to be honest. It is a never-ending battle, for lack of a, a better word. And when the world shut down because of COVID and then the murder of George Floyd... I was looking for ways to help, ways to contribute, ways to share, ways to some in some ways get out of the way um, to let people contribute more. So, and I got to the point where I had stuff to say, and and actually, the whole reason that we kind of did the podcast when we did it last week was because something I was upset about going on, and we actually, (laughs) we don't even get to it. Uh, It's kind of like the closing of the podcast, and you're going to notice a couple cuts during the podcast. We had some really bad thunderstorms when we were recording, so I lost internet a couple times, so you'll hear a couple little snippets where it kind of gets pieced together and and we were starting to get into the whole thing that I was upset about or that I wanted to talk through with him um, at the very end and we're going to save that for another show because I think I think you know looking the conversation kind of just didn't go there to be honest with you and we do cover it in some ways but um, so yeah so Pharaoh and I this this is also a long one. It's almost two hours long, or it's going to be two hours with the intro. So strap yourself in. And it's heavy. I think it's heavy. It gets messy. It's it's honest. It's raw. It's, you know, it's everything that's going on and, and how we're dealing with it and how the world's dealing with it and the good, the bad, and the ugly of the country that we live in. So I I really hope that you get through it 
with us. I hope you, that you enjoy it. I hope it makes you think. I hope it makes you cry a little bit. I hope it makes you upset. I hope it makes you stand up and, and do something. Because, I mean, we, we all need our breaks. We all need our downtime. I, you know, toys and action figures and cartoons and TV shows are, are mine. Video games. I, I guess I can go on and on about my distractions. But, um... Yeah, I, I, it's just, I think it was important. Um, I still think it's important. And I think it's important that we don't lose steam. So I'm sure Pharaoh's going to be back sooner rather than later. And I think, you know, you can go check him out on Um I will link to all his social accounts, um, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook Twitter is where he's very active and I retweet a lot of his stuff and reshare a lot of his stuff on Facebook as well. Um, so make sure to check him out, follow him, support him, like him. Remember to follow us. We're at Caster's Corner on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, like, share out the podcast. We really appreciate all the support. Um, and make sure to check out the post on the website. Uh, we're very proud of the new website and everything that we've done there. So make sure to check out the post for more details, including Pharaoh's links um, and every place that you can find his work. And uh, yeah, so I'm kind of going to just let the podcast speak for itself. Um, strap yourselves in. It's a heavy show, but I think it's it's one of the pieces of work that I'm most proud of because I think um, having a platform like this, there's a certain level of responsibility, um, that goes along with it. So I hope all of our dozens, hopefully more so followers, um, start picking up and really run with it. And I think the honestness, honesty that we, honestness, honesty that we, um, share with you in this podcast the struggles that we've both faced um calling out some of those um moments in our lives um i think all of those things all lead to um the discussion and the change and i hope better world um I know it's corny to say, but anyway, so without further ado, remember to follow us, like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, uh, Google Play, and Stitcher, and, and all the places that you find your podcasts. Uh, remember to follow us, remember to follow Pharaoh, and um, enjoy. Without further ado, it is me, it is Pharaoh, uh, and it is a wild ride that we take. So enjoy, everybody. It looked really good. Yeah. Back in the day when Mezcal was first starting, one thing they were doing was they were basically making random shit that no one else was making. That was kind of their niche. Right. And they got all these Marvel licenses and all the movie licenses. Um, and basically, you could even say, like, the start of the 112, the whole 112 collective was, like, Judge Dredd and DKR Batman. Like, they were picking some random things that no one else was doing. Right. Uh, but they used to do 
really weird eight inch horror figures that were kind of like really stylized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they had a line called Silent Screamers. And it was all of like the horror movie characters from horror and sci-fi characters from the old 30s and 40s silent movies. Mm-hmm. So it was like Nosferatu. It was on Count Orlock. It was uh, it was the robot from Metropolis. It was uh, Doctor Caligari. Mm-hmm. It was characters like that, like really random. I think they were talking about trying to. They wanted to make the man who laughs, and they never did. But they kind of had this weird subset line that caught Silent Screamers, and I guess they're bringing it back to the one twelve line. Well, and, and it, first, it looked good. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, they've been knocking the horror stuff out of the park. I got to give them credit on the horror stuff. Like, for years, I kind of never really dove into the horror stuff the way I wanted to because I'm not always a big fan of the way NECA scales with everything. Yeah. And NECA's kind of the one. They make, like, eight-inch figures that don't really sit with anything else on your shelf. (laughs) Which, they're awesome. But, you know, like, I'm like, man, I, I really like having stuff in a particular scale. Right. Like, either, like, one six and one twelve or... You know, like the twelve-inch, right, right, you yeah. know, one-six scale. So when they started putting out horror figures, and I first got the first couple, I was like, "Hey, these are great!" Like I like the way these scale with everything; they fit in with everything really well. So I'm actually happy that they're doing this. I think um, that Frank, I think that Frankenstein is going to go up in price because it's been kind of like sitting, like uh-huh. hasn't been too bad. I I actually saw it at a couple stores that were like moderately priced, like they weren't jacked up the price at all and now i have a feeling with this coming out i think people are going to go back and want to start making a shelf just of those so yeah should be interesting so we got heavy stuff going on yeah like i don't even i don't even know where to start i mean there's been so much stuff that's i i mean we we talked before the but before we started recording and it's kind of like i don't even know where to we begin with it because it's like we we post toy stuff and then we'll post something political. And then we post toy stuff. And then it's like something political. And it's like, for me, I've been trying to balance the two because of all the personal life stuff that's been going on. Like, yeah. I can't handle all three fronts for me. So I've got to kind of balance it for everything. But you've yeah. been my major source for news and, and going on it's just because it's what you do. Um, yeah. And I don't even know... It doesn't. How I mean, and and I hesitate to ask the question of like, how have you been doing with it, or or, or how's it been going? But, um, what 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 has I guess what's been going on with you? How have you been, um, responding to everything, doing all these trainings? Because I I attended one of your trainings, um, and it was it was, and I don't know we I don't know we talked about what came out of me doing the training yet. No, I don't think we have. Um, so you did this wonderful training. <clears throat> um, it's online, right? You can see it. Yeah. Um, it's on my YouTube channel. Yeah. And it, you broke, you broke out. We broke out into discussion groups, and listening to your your training and going through the PowerPoint, doing going through the presentation with you was was powerful. But I think what really hit me was, um the privileged perspective that, that we don't talk about a lot with stuff. Um, and, and, and some of the things, and, and I'm not going to break the confidence of, of those breakout groups because it didn't come up in the conversation later, but it was looking at, um, people that had jobs 
or didn't have jobs or was getting government assistance or not getting a, and and looking at this as as getting a breather in some some respects or getting help in some respects and not looking forward in some ways to going back right away because it was going to go back to the same again yeah um and and I think it shifted my perspective in hearing that and going Everybody wants to get back to quote unquote normal, you know, and, and I, and for me, normal would be just being able to leave the house whenever I wanted to, or, or, or go places. If I like, if I want to go to a restaurant, go to a restaurant. Um, and I've got a privileged perspective on that. Um, I'm insulated where I live. And so it, it was eye opening to hear some of those stories given to us during that time. So I think that was, that was it it shifted how I've been dealing with my day job to be off for sure. So no, I feel you on that. Yeah, like for me, you you've known me for some time now. Like I I, I at this point I kind of brand myself as a professional shit talker to white people about their mess. You're good at it. And I appreciate that. Thank you. Sometimes I don't feel so good. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm great at it or even good at it. Um, it. For me, all of this, the pandemic and then these protests, you know, I work in HR. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've had to do during this pandemic was lay people off and cut people's hours. Um, and the amount of privilege that comes with haven't been able to maintain employment during this period of time. Uh, but also the amount of privilege that comes with getting to basically be at a table for a conversation where people get to pick and choose who they think deserves to keep their job or not. Mm-hmm. And the people at that table, and I'm just going to say this about the company that I currently work for, the people at that table not really giving a shit about how this is really impacting people. Mm-hmm. They care about how they feel about it, not the impact that it's having on people. Right. And then having to support said people as, you know, they tear up that they're hurt, that they're losing their jobs and trying to be as supportive as possible for those folks, but also having a lot of weight on my own shoulders with this pandemic and my, my, my family back in Detroit trying to make sure that they can pay their rent. Right. You know, and trying to support my sister who kind of had some job stuff for a minute that were her job shut down. And, you know, you, you, I realize, I, I often, I always realize the amount of privilege that I have coming from where I come from. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm I, at the end of the day, no matter what age I am, I'm a weird geeky black kid from Detroit. You know, I grew up in poverty, like, and it wasn't my parents' fault. They did their best. Right. It's just when you're stuck in a system, you're stuck in a systemic generational circle of trauma. Mm-hmm. It's hard to break out of that. Right. Like, you know, we all carry some form of generational trauma, especially, you know, uh, it's, you know, and it's especially prominent for black, brown, indigenous bodies. Uh, and even, you know, I'll even say just, persons of culture in general like we all carry some degree 
of generational trauma from living through whiteness, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. And I, I realized my adjacency to whiteness often puts me at odds with my adjacency to black. Mm -hmm. Like, I work in a profession that was created to oppress people. Like, I work in HR. HR ain't for you. I'm just going to be fucking frank and honest. I don't practice HR that way. I have heard way too many times in my career that I am not like other HR people. I don't want to keep hearing that. Right. But I understand that my profession is not here for people. That unless I make a legitimate effort to be here for people, the work that I do is meant to oppress you and shut you up and make you just go back to your desk. Right. If I decide to do it that way, which I don't, which is probably why I've had so many issues with the work that I do. Because uh, white folks do not like it when you want to be the person that don't allow them to harm nobody. Um, but I realized the amount of privilege I constantly have. And, but then I realized that privilege can be snuffed in a moment's notice when I walk out the door and some white lady decides to call the police on me. Right. So I have all this weird privilege that I've accumulated. But it means jack and shit when they call the cops. Right. But then I'm just another, then I'm just like, Frank, you know, pardon my language, but I'm, then I'm just another nigga that they can shoot down in the streets. Right. And be like, well, he, and then sully my name, be like, well, he was a bad person, quote unquote, and all that nonsense. Like, I'm still a target. Right. Like, I, I still fear for my life when I see police cars coming in my neighborhood and just sitting. Like, I've had, I've had people yell at me in front of my house because I asked them not to move my garbage can so they could park their land road. And call me a monster for asking them not to do that. And threaten to call the police on me. This happened to me a few years ago. Right. This has happened to me this has happened to me multiple times in my life where white people have said I'm threatening them just by my existence. Like I worked for places where I know they hired me because I'm black. I, I've been in circles where I know people keep me around because I'm their black friend. You know, like, this is all stuff I grapple with every day. This is all stuff I sit around and hang out with every day. Yeah. But I still try to keep a smile on my face because, I mean, shit. I mean, life, you still got to live life. Right. This, this, is the, this is the constant specter of being black in the United States. It's, I still need to live. But I understand that I could die. But because I understand that I could die tomorrow, I got to at least live for today. Yeah. But it's always in the back of your head that this could end any moment. Something could go south at any moment. And I have been stopped by the police at least 15 times in my life. I have never even remotely done anything to be stopped by the police any of those times. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying you need to do anything to be stopped by the police. Don't get me wrong. I don't think the police should be stopping folks anyway for all a bunch of shit anyway. But when they say that, well, you must have been doing something, no, that's not the situation. Well, that white lady screaming, he must have done something. No. Right. It's like, we've been telling you this for centuries. Like, so my life is weird, but I embrace it because I know that for a lot of folks, they're tired. And I'm tired. I mean, I've been tired this whole pandemic. And, I, and I'm supremely tired of white people. I can't lie. I am just, being white people in 2020, we are not pals. I'm a little just... I, I'm tired because I know in six months you'll go back to doing white things. Yeah. My life won't matter in a few months. 
after you've got your Instagram photos and after you feel like you've gotten a feel-good story that you can tell your kids about and your grandkids about later on about how you stood with Black people, although you're probably still doing supremely racist shit afterwards, you get to lord that over me now and be like, you helped me. Mm-hmm. And you got something out of it. You got cookies because you went outside and protested. Like, y'all been killing my people for 400 years. Like, so you, you get a couple of weeks in and you, you think it's all good now? See, this is what I grapple with. This is what I live with. And I'm expected to go to work and be pleasant and jovial and not be triggered and angered when white employees do supremely racist things or when people of color who have a supreme amount of privilege do racist things to other people of color I'm, I, because of their privilege. And I'm not supposed to feel triggered. I'm supposed to always be jovial, just be the jovial black person. Because I have to smile and I have to joke. And I have to have a certain kind of demeanor because if I don't, then I'm a danger to you. Mm-hmm. And this is the line that black people tend to walk all day, every day, 24-7, 365. We don't get holidays off. It is what it is. It's the black existence and the black experience. And it's not everyone's black experience, but it's it's a sizable amount of the black experience for a and, lot of black people, you know? And I think that it it like you said, it 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 may not be the everyday in your face experience for everybody. I think it sometimes it but it it does stick in the back of your head. Like it does I think we're starting to see and people are starting to be aware of how how much it is part of that experience and um and and I know you know Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and you know it's all damaging it's all bullshit it's an echo chamber in a lot of ways like you follow the people you follow you but I think what I found and you're right in 6 months it's probably going to be different but I found that my feeds are all full of the interactions that you're talking about. Like it's video of somebody walking down the street and getting yelled at because they're perceived as a problem or perceived as not being in the right place. And I hope it's filling everybody else's feeds because even if, you know, I think that stuff has to be part of the conversation. I think that part, it's those things where you're like, I don't want to hear about it. You you hear those stories it's like, that's too horrible. I don't want to hear about it. You know, in history, like slavery happened. Oh, but we don't want to hear about them getting beaten. We don't want to hear about those people, you know, how they were treated. That's too horrible. We know that they were enslaved. We know that they were part of that. But let, let's leave it in the past. And And I hope that people are seeing these videos and seeing these pictures and seeing these interactions and are, are seeing them as much as I'm seeing them um, on, on all the things that I'm looking at so that maybe those things can't be forgotten. Maybe those do start to impact in some way because I don't think, you know, I don't think, you know, I, I think we're both saying the same thing. We, we shouldn't go back to where we were. No. We should, we should be able to keep moving forward. Um, I just have no trust in us moving forward. Mm-hmm. Because we've had 400 years of many opportunities to move forward. And it doesn't. And we just don't. Like, this isn't the first wave of civil rights in the United States. Yeah. You know what I mean? This isn't the first wave of civil rights. We've been, we do this every decade, it feels like. We, we've been doing this for over 200 years. 
it's, you know, like there's a lot of factors that are probably the reason why people quote unquote give a shit now. And I, and I use quotes Mm -hmm. on that because that's going, that's already starting to wax and wane and ebb and flow. The first one was that I think coronavirus punched people in the face. Yeah, I think it really did. I think that the way that we view, the way that so many people view this country, being prepared, being ready, and we're strong, and we're this, that, and the other, um, it just got kicked in the nuts. Let's be real. It, it, it got punched in the throat and kicked in the nuts, and it's hobbling right now. Yeah. This is not, this is not the response anyone expected. No one expected this much pain from this. Right. You know, there was a period of time where I think most of us thought, oh, okay, you know, this is this will pass. But when you look at the infrastructure of this country, we should have all known this was not going to, right off the bat, we should have to be screwed. Yeah. So there's that. But I, the other, the byproduct of that, the second part of what I'm talking about is that people are stuck indoors. They're stuck at home. They had to watch George Floyd's murder. Right. Which I will admit, well, I will completely admit I have not watched that video and I will not watch that video. I have seen enough black deaths in my life. I skip these videos. I, I don't, I don't need to see them. Like, I, I don't need to see somebody die. I wish other people didn't feel like they needed that video evidence. But for me, I'm good. I, I don't need to ever watch the murder of George Floyd. I'm good. I don't need to watch the murder of anyone mm-hmm. for that matter. I, that doesn't do anything for me. Uh, but I think people had to sit with it because typically the way this goes, and I mean, we've been, we've been recording our assaults and murders as black people. We've been recording the murder of black bodies since they came up with the camera phone. Yeah. Like this is the first footage. You know what I mean? Like this literally isn't the first footage. How many fucking video recordings have we had? And I laugh because I want to cry. I'm going to be honest. No, I, I, I yeah. chuckle because it makes me want to cry. It's like, this isn't the first time you're seeing a video of my of my people being murdered at the hands of an oppressive system. But this time, people couldn't walk away. Right. You were stuck in your house with it. it the news that of COVID or black, black people being murdered by the police. There was no in between. Yeah, you go Netflix something real quick, right? And you know, but there was nowhere to escape. Right. Everyone in your life was talking about it. You could not get away. And it was one of the first times I think for a lot of white people where they couldn't just walk away from it, because typically what happens is that these things happen. You know me. I talk about them. White people are sad for about four days and then they're back to posting their cat pictures on Instagram. And so we roll. They've moved on from it already. Right. This time they couldn't move on from it. And it's like now you're stuck with it. You have to sit with the discomfort. Y'all have to admit that you're super racist. You have to admit that, mo- that y'all are racist. And I'm a super racist. You just have to admit, period, that you are racist, that you benefit from racism and white supremacy. You have to admit it. You can't walk away from it. You can't sit there and be like, oh, this has happened to me because it has never happened to you. I guarantee you right now, 95.9% of white people will never completely understand what it looks like to see your people constantly get killed by somebody. 
No, and and I remember the week that it happened, and I was in the house most of the time, and I started, you know, started seeing the videos, started seeing the, you know, the, the news stories, and then our our idiot in charge had his <laughs> moment of power or perceived power. Um, yeah. And I remember going out. It was that was on a Monday that that happened, and then on Tuesday I remember going out because I had to run to the store. I had to get food. I had to get supplies for the house. I had to go pick up a couple things. And I remember driving through, driving through the street, being pissed, driving through being sad, you know, verge of tears, upset, watching it, um, just because I looked around me and I realized nothing's changed around me. Yeah. Everybody's going for a walk with their dogs. People are playing tennis on the tennis courts. I see kids playing football and basketball on the courts. I mean, we're shut down because of a uh, of a pandemic. People are being killed. Our government's not responding. Um and and they're acting like it's a nice summer day and nothing's wrong in the world. Yep. The lines out the door for the store. Nobody's keeping 6 feet apart. Nobody's talking you know, about anything, like you're not seeing it. There's no signs. There's no, there's nothing. It looked like just another normal day. And I remember my mom asking me, um, you know, how are you doing? And I remember two thoughts went through my head. Two thoughts were, um, I'm really really mad I'm really upset I'm really name the emotion that's what I'm going through and um the other one is a little bit of relief that I could I could hide here I can I can hide where I am I can take care of my family you know I can work from home I can take care of you because my mom's not you know she's getting older so her mobility and stuff is and so it i have to be you know a caregiver and relieved for the ability that we live in a place where it's not turned upside down and i can still take care of you guys because i i we couldn't move like i couldn't get her out of the house i couldn't do certain things so it was like this moment of like and and this is going to sound really ridiculous and stupid. Um, the only way I could get anything out um, was to drive around with my windows down, playing the loudest rap, hip-hop that I could in these neighborhoods <laughs> as I went to the store. Because I... and. You know, it sounds really dumb, but it's like it's it's part of me. It's part of where I grew up. It's part of it's just, you know, like it's just putting it it out. And I don't even know. It just made me feel better. It just made me feel like this isn't normal. And if this makes you uncomfortable, good, because I'm uncomfortable. So I want you all to be uncomfortable, too. Yeah. Yeah. 
I understand that completely. Um, yeah, my my version of that was just talking. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it's I'm unapologetic about how I feel about everything. Mm-hmm. It at some point will probably make me very unemployable. Uh, but at this point in life, I'm going to keep rolling with it. It, it is what it is. Um, for me, I just had to say it out loud. Yeah. Like, I I had a couple of really good cries over the last couple of months. Um, and, I mean, I, I tend to have them. I, I tend to, sometimes just just so overwhelming. Um, you know, these spaces I work in, the communities I work with, the pain I see people go through. Um, you know, I, I have moments sometimes. I can almost tear up talking about it right now. I have moments where my body just needs to just yeah. open up the floodgates and get it out, you know, and just have a nice long cry. Just take like a good 20 minutes and just let it out and then breathe and then recenter and try to dive back in, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But they've come more frequently as of late. I've had more of them. They tend to be, you know, every couple of months or something like that. You know, your body just gets heavy. Yeah. You know, my wife always gets on me about taking care of myself mentally and everything. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, I got it. And then I don't. Yeah, yeah, I think we do. You know, yeah, I, I understand. You know, as a, as a person married to a therapist, I know it pisses her off. Like, let's just be real. She's like, "What the hell, man? I do this for a living." Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I have I've had moments, especially with the work that I do, where I just I come home while I'm in my house, and I just cry. You know, mm-hmm. the weight of it all, the, the trauma of it all, the generational pain of it all, just comes out. But I, I've had a lot more of that recently um, because I I want to believe there's a little part of me that wants to believe that this is a movement and not a moment. But then I constantly see it's constantly reinforced for me that this is a moment right. and it's not a movement. Um, th- this and I say this because I, I see how all of this is playing out. I see the performative nonsense of it all. And it 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 it, it just makes me so angry. Well and and it and it it coupled like it timed out right that everybody was home to see it, but it's also timing out right for it to turn into a moment versus a movement because Everybody wants to get out. Well, they want to go to restaurants. Yeah. They want to. So now they're more. It's you know, it's a, that person that's been trapped in the house because it's winter time, and now you get to go out in shorts and see the sun. Like, yeah. So now you've got it timed out where people want to play. You know, they don't feel trapped anymore, and now they want to play, and and they forget about. You know, it's not. It's not on the news every day. Like it's not. It's not what's being covered. It's not the protests aren't being covered every day. No, it's quiet now. Yeah. And and that's it's our cycle, right? It's it's this new mm-hmm. cycle that we're in that these kind of things don't gain steam. They don't gain momentum 
they just shift to, to something new. And, yeah. and I mean, we were talking earlier that the new thing is entertainment wants to protect itself. Yeah. Like the, the, the knee jerk reaction to pull episodes, you know, some for valid reasons, you know, maybe not running them, you know, you know, just letting be out there, some having disclaimers, some doing different things. And, and, and so now that's what's going on versus still talking about the social change, the, the political change we need and support we need versus what's really important. Yeah. Oh, this is, let, let's be completely clear. The United States is not a country that wants societal change. Let's just be really real. No, it never it, has been. Yeah, it, it is super easy to do performative horseshit. It is super easy because it feeds into the constituencies that you want to impress. It makes you feel good, makes you feel like you did a thing. You know, it it, it, it gives white people the opportunity to be like, look at me. See, I'm your ally. I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. I quit this job for you. We did this blah, blah, blah for you. We took this episode of this, we took this racist episode of this showdown for you. And it's like, I didn't ask for any of that. Right. I want y'all to quit fucking killing me. Yeah. Like, I don't give a damn about your TV shows or people quitting their jobs because they voiced a black character. And I'll wrap around to that in a second because that's a mess. Um, I, I don't care about you taking movies off of streaming services. I don't care about your company releasing their little statement about you stand with all black lives all of a sudden when I've talked to the black people that work for you and you've treated them like dog shit for years. Like, I, I don't care about your performative shit like, right. because that doesn't show me anything. Where's your plan? Where, when are you going to legitimately acknowledge that you harm people? Yeah. Where, where's the meat and the potatoes? All I see is you giving me the cornstarch that you use to thicken up the soup. But I don't get any of the soup. Where right. the hell is the rest of the soup? Like I, I, you can miss me with all this performative nonsense because I know in a few weeks y'all gonna go right back to doing the same shit y'all was doing before. Like it's not like this changes. Yeah, it, it's not like your company's changing. You're saying the right things right now, quote unquote, to look like you're on the right side of history, quote unquote. And that's all that matters for a lot of people right now that they feel like they're doing the right thing. Oh, it's to keep advertisers, it's to keep money going. It's not yeah. for for the actual, it's not doing the, the work. No, because the work is messy and lifelong and no one wants to be told they got to do something for the rest of their lives. Right. Like this is like, what I always impart on folks and I do trainings when I come in and do facilitated discussions, when I have lead conversations, this ain't this ain't something you can be finished with in two weeks. Like, you know, like people are patting themselves on the back right now. Like I've seen the list going around of people like, look at what we're doing. Look at these things we've accomplished in the last three weeks. I'm like, you want cookies? Are you doing this for a cookie? Because I don't I don't make cookies for white people. Okay? Well, and it and it, it's also the it, it it's that change that has to be made, but it's also yeah. it's looking at it going and I I can't get too specific, <laughs> but um, it's looking at the position where it's like, we're going to do A, we're going to do this yeah. thing, okay? 
and it's a really good thing we should be doing. In doing A, you find out about B, C, D, E, yes. and F, and then you go, fuck. Yep. We, wait, we still want to do A, and, and, and my answer has been, we're going to have to deal with the rest of the alphabet guys. Like yeah. if you open this door, we're going to have to deal with it. And they're like, we, um, we don't really, does, do we have to? And I go, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you have to. And, and it's going to fundamentally change everything about this. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to do, and, and I'm really walking the tightrope here. You're not really going to be able to do, all these fun things because you're doing them where a b and to z happened and you know it it, it's and it's like yeah but we should do a regardless of all of that shit we still should do a and then work with and and deal with and and put it out there about everything else because at yeah. the end of the day, it it only brings the community closer together. It only makes us, and, and I hate to say it that way, it brings us. It'll bring us all together, and make us more valuable. And all those words sound really shitty, saying it that way, but that's the way you have to sell it sometimes. Yeah, and especially to white people and white run organizations right now. That's the supreme that's supremely my issue exactly mm-hmm. what you just said everybody wants to do a right now but like okay um you still got to do a1 a2 a3 a isn't just a a has subsections okay mm-hmm. <clears throat> if you if a is defund the police there yeah. are a lot of things that are going to be the fallout of you defunding the police that will still harm communities if you don't make a legitimate effort to do all of a Right. And not just part of that. But then after we've started working on A, it's gonna trickle into B, C, D, E, F, G, and everything else. <clears throat> and this is what I've been trying to explain to white people, to persons of color who have a lot of white privilege, and to companies and organizations. Like <clears throat> you don't get to just do one and then pat yourself on the back. Mm-hmm. This is like like right now with the protest, it's like Look at us, we're defunding the police. And it's like, yeah, but you do know we got 1,500 other battles to do too, right? Like, you taking a victory lap already? You ain't even you, you ain't even got to the track yet. You are taking a victory lap. Like, you ain't even started the race. Like, you know how long we've been fighting for all this? Tie your shoes like, first. Exactly. <laughs> like you ain't you ain't had a healthy breakfast. You ain't tied your shoes. You haven't pre- you haven't prepared for the marathon. Nothing. You're just like, look at us, we're running. And I'm like, that's great. Uh, there's a whole bunch of brambles up the hill there that you're about to run into. Um, it, it's, 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 in order to address one part of systemic oppression, you have to understand that once you open up that box, it's going to open up all the other boxes too. Yeah. Because there are cause and effects that create all of these things. This is years of built-up systemic oppression, centuries. It's it's if we start talking about defunding the police and talking about the police state as a form of oppression, mm-hmm. then we need to talk about the prison system. We need to talk about social work and community support. 
Mm-hmm. We need to talk about poverty and the systems that create poverty that feed into the prison system, that feed into into the fund, into the police system. It's like, yeah, we open up a whole lot of boxes by talking. You think we just talk about this one thing and that's it? Right. It's like there's so much more to it. And when people look at this as, and I've had white people say to me, like, you know, well, we got to do one thing at a time. I'm like, it's great that you have the privilege that you get to do one thing at a time. I'm trying to live and not die while still fight for rights and still have happiness and joy. Right. I'm doing 15 things at any given time all the time. Myself and very, 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 very many few, um, very many other people in this country. We're trying to juggle 18 things so we can live on multiple levels. You get to be like, I'm dabbling over here in this corner. Like we got to clean the whole rest of the house while you over here painting this one wall over in the corner. Like it's, it, it, it's a slap in the face to me. It, mm-hmm. It's 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 this it's it's and it's part of white culture. It's part of white supremacy. It's, whiteness it's, has to be good or bad. Right. Whiteness has to view itself as it's doing a good thing or it's doing a bad thing. And the good thing has to have kudos and pats on the back and affirmations that you're good. And and so many of us have been indoctrinated to feed into this. And that includes persons of culture. That includes Black folks. We're told that we need to view things this way and we need to be this way in order to survive. And there's no, but the truth is there's no guarantee that that's going to increase your survival rate. You yeah. know, and and that's that's one of my problems right now with companies and people is that you you do realize that there's a whole lot of other things, right? Like, this isn't just the one thing. Like, we're talking about a, a turducken of hell like we're, well, we're talking about you know yeah and it's it's a little bit about sacrifice too it, it's yeah. like you're you know like you said earlier at, at a certain point the things you do are going to get you it's going to be you're going to be a problematic person to have yeah. in the company and i don't know if you saw it this morning i just saw it this morning when i opened up um all my feeds and everything um Anthony Mackie came out and said, said point blank, Disney needs to do better because everything I work on for Marvel, they're, I'm the person of color. All the yeah. assistants, all the directors, all the writers, all the lighting guys, everybody's white. He goes, and I'm the only black person there. And he goes, this isn't okay. And yeah. he's in a position like he, you know, there's a little bit of like, he's holding on to the jewel. You know what I mean? Like he, like it's Marvel. Like it is the thing in entertainment today. Like it's the thing they can't do wrong. And he's going to come out and it's looking at that going, well, that's sacrifice. That's, that's standing up for things. That's showing that that could get you replaced. Like, yeah, there's, you know, and, and to hear things like that, those are the moments where I go, that that's moving to me dropping out of animated show for whatever reason or or not airing a tv show doesn't seem as moving it seems more you don't want to get you don't want to piss off people and and lose sponsorships yeah like the power part is a big part of this Mm -hmm. and like you just said the, the power part and the losing something part is a very big part of why 
white supremacy still exists as the monolith that it is. Not only call it a monolith, it's kind of a sad, sad puppy that thinks it's Cerberus or something. It, it's, it's a tragedy. Like, you know, like when you really think about white supremacy, it's like, y'all ain't even innovative no more with this. Y'all been doing the same shit for like 300 years. You know how many innovations we've had? We've made peanut butter, so all sorts of shit. Like, and you still doing the same 10 things? Like, you ain't came up with nothing new? Now, look, I'm not trying to throw the gauntlet out there for no, racism yeah. and all something new. I'm just saying, like, I know your playbook. I know what you're going to say when I call you out on it. I know how you're going to react. And I know why. Mm-hmm. I know it's because in those moments, you feel your power slipping away. You feel your ability to feel like you're just in the things that you do and that you are good and altruistic and that you have control are going to slip away because you might have to acknowledge that you've done and said some things. Yeah. And, and that's what's so, that's what, that's what's interesting about the, that's what's interesting about having these conversations and trying to break this stuff down. Like for white people who have power and privilege, you obviously have a very ripe opportunity to be able to say, no, we are doing fucked up things. We need to be better. We need to figure out what we need to do really to be better. But there's danger in that even for white folks. White folks don't want to get excluded from the white picnic and the white activities. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be looked at as the problematic white person because then they're viewed as bad. Right. I've worked for companies where I've had white folks who are like, what the hell are we doing? And those white folks have been treated like crap Yeah. by management, by senior leaders. They've been yelled at. They've been degraded. They've been gaslit. Like these things aren't happening. And I've had conversations with them. We're like, wow, they just did this and this. And I'm like, welcome to the party. Yeah. Like, this is what whiteness does. Like, y'all don't even really like each other when you start talking about things. Like, y'all can't even, like, when you really look at, like, the history of white supremacy and you look at colonialism, you look at indentured servitude, you look at the enslavement of black folks, you look at the murder of indigenous bodies. Like, white people are doing this to white people. Yeah. Like, there are white people having to qualify to be considered white. Yeah. You know, like, the Irish and the Italians, they had to earn whiteness. Yeah. And it's like, so you lost your culture to be a part of this mash of stuff that has no identity. Just because that was the insulated, safe place with power. So it's like, y'all don't even treat each other decent. No, and and I, I, I'll have one. I'll, this one, I don't give a shit. I was working at a vet here in Southington, and... It was the day after Trump got elected, right? And mm-hmm. we were all sitting around talking, everybody out front. And everybody made – somebody who's been there for 40 years, and she makes 50 cents more than I do. And I've been there for 20 years. And we were making like $14 an hour, $16 an hour. No real vacation, no benefits, no nothing. Like just, yeah. you know, you call out sick, you're screwed. Like you don't get yeah. money, nothing. The doctor, the boss – he walked out and we were just talking about the election and said, oh, by the way, you know, who'd you vote for? And his response was, oh, of course I voted for Trump. I write checks. You all cash my checks. So, of course, you didn't vote for him. Wow. <laughs> and then proceeded later that day to go into the fridge and take my food and my shit out because he wanted it. And didn't even ask. He goes, it's in here. It's it, it's in my freezer. I can take it if I want to. 
And after that, I was like, I don't give a shit. Like, you're an asshole. I'm like, I'm done. And, like, I was out. I quit. I quit before I had a new job. And I said, I'll struggle. I'll scrape. I'll look for family for support. But I can't work here anymore. I can't work for you. I can't do it. And he bred, and, and they all just sit there. They give them right. They, they, as a staff, they give the doctors rides to and from their houses. They pick them up. They buy their lunches. They do, they treat them like it, it I don't want to say it was like slavery, but they treat them like they are controlled a hundred percent where they eat, when they, when they get to go home, when they get to do things is a hundred percent controlled by these people. And I watch it and I went, can't do it anymore. And I'm, and and everybody was pissed at me. Everybody at work started hating me because I was like, no, I'm not going to go pick him up. No, I'm not going to go get their lunch. No, they once told me, I'm busy. You can't eat lunch. And I looked at him and I go, and everybody was like, where are you going? I picked up my keys and I walked out the door. I said, I, I'm taking a lunch break. I'm I'm going to get food. They're like, they said you're not allowed to leave the hospital. And I go. I answer the phone. There are three other people. If you three can't answer the phone, then they have a bigger problem. I'm going to get my lunch. You tell them I said so. And I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't do it. And that's a perfect example of what you were saying about like how you, you, you get into trouble. You get, you know, you can't stand up because even in that system where you're, you know, you belong, you're one of the, it doesn't matter. No. And, and and I always go back to that because I've worked in, you know, I, I witnessed and I've seen situations where the white people feel like they can't say anything. Mm-hmm. But you know how we feel. Like, yeah. if, we see, if we see Karen and Ken getting shot down, we sure as hell know we ain't going to be heard. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's it, the whole concept of the way everything is set up is mind boggling because it's, it's also like, why would you let somebody treat you that way? Why would you want to work for someone that talks down to you? And that obviously demonstrates that they feel they're better than you. Yeah. Like I, I worked in higher ed for three years. I worked for Reed college in Portland, Oregon, supremely, supremely expensive liberal arts college. That was the most racist place I've ever worked. And I mean, I've worked for some crappy places. I mean, I worked for, I sold insurance for a while, and I worked for a guy who blared Rush Limbaugh all day in the office. Yeah. Talked about Mexicans who came in. And I'm not saying that as a term. I'm saying, literally saying, like, I lived in Las Vegas. They have a large Mexican population in Las Vegas. He would talk about his clients who were Mexican like they were shit. Oh, yeah. And, And it's like, so I've been in some crappy situations, but working in institutions where it's been normalized to mistreat people is the worst possible situation. And I'm always curious as to what, does does anyone ever say anything? Does anyone ever speak out about this? And when you have spoken out about this, was there such a dire consequence that it shut everyone down? Yeah. Because the only the thing that I've always found is that they're they'll make example of someone. They'll make an example out of someone. Um, to hammer home the point that you should shut your mouth and that you should just get in line. Um, 
you know, I, I, I worked at H, I work in HR and HR puts me in this weird position where I'm technically an employee, but I'm the employee who knows all the skeletons in the closet. Right. So I have to sit with the fact that all you motherfuckers is racist and, like, and that you do horrible things all the time. And I have to try to sway someone who makes decisions right. to do something about it. And the insanity of it for me is that I worked in this, I worked at this college for three years. I watched as black women were mistreated and just left. And I talked to these women and I knew what was going on for them. And I was mistreated for three years. Like every day there was something. Right. Like there got to a point where literally every day there was a thing. Like I don't, I'm not joking when I say that. It was like every day there was a moment where I was like, I'm going to have to snatch somebody up today. Like, you know, like I think I'm just going to go home. Like I think I'm just going to leave for the day. Before this escalates, there were days where I didn't even get to 1030 before it was like, oh, my God, these people, I can't believe they get to just do and say these things. Uh, yeah. No, I, I you're bringing me back. You're like you're putting me back in that position of like the way I used to have to deal with it, where yeah. I remember there were times where we would have um, anybody of color that walked in the door. I was the person they saw on the way out. And. I would always have to make sure they felt okay yeah. when they left and felt valued probably isn't the right word, but respected or heard or listened to or whatever it is, because I always felt like the front end always was and behind closed doors. The N word and the S word talking about people of Hispanic and, and Latino descent, like, were, were thrown around regularly and I always had to make sure that I was extra nice and extra courteous and extra pleasant yeah. um, to them because I knew I knew it was the only way that they were going to come back and yeah. I have a soft spot for animals so I want to make sure that, that care is continued you know and and I respected the the medical knowledge of at least one of the doctors. So, you know, I always made sure to book with that person or make sure that they could come back. But I always had to, to play that game of, like, I got to make sure that you don't walk out of here thinking, you know, how horrible this was. So. Yeah. And that was, the, that was the horrible game of roulette I played every day, being in human resources and higher ed. It was <clears throat> higher ed's already racist. Like, let's just right. be frank. Higher ed's a mess anyway. But this Reed College as an organization is the liberal, the liberal quote unquote mecca of we're good people. Right. And so they can't see that they do racist things or they don't care. And it's both because I've seen both in action while I worked there. Like I could share at least 30 stories. We could spend a whole few hours just talking about the things that happened to me while I worked there. Like, and, and then there was a double-edged sword of doing exit interviews. And I basically kind of became the person people could talk to. Like I went to so many lunches with folks yeah, just so they could have an hour to vent and they would always leave it with, look, Farrah, I know you can't really do anything about this, but I just felt like I need to say it. 
Yeah. And my job is supposed to be to stop that from happening to people. So that doesn't make you feel great either. They're no. not even talking about feeling good. I'm talking about feeling like my job has value. Right. Like it, it was, I found myself, yeah, like you're, you're, you're trying to mitigate damage at some point, And that's all you're doing. Right. Like you said, like you're, you're trying to make sure that they're having at least a somewhat pleasant experience because you know that's all you can do. And for me, it started eating at my soul. It, it started killing me a little bit inside. I was miserable. Yeah. Because it was just like, I'm technically in a position where I should be able to bend somebody's ear. Yeah. But you're not going to listen. So what do I do? What is my value? What's the point? Yeah. And and I think I think the other the other side of that is since I've been moving up in my in my field in, in teaching and been putting in management positions and having to have conversations about planning and and purpose and voices that are included in things. Yeah. The conversations I want to have are, um, one one of them was um, I, I worked for a museum about Native Americans. It was founded by a white person. <laughs> it was run by white people. <laughs> the Native voices weren't heard, <laughs> and and I was another quote unquote white person that was put in a position of power, and I would regularly try to sit down with them and talk to them through stuff. Um, not, and, and it was frustrating for me because it was like, I want to help you make a change. I want to give you the power to make decisions. I want to make sure that the voice is authentic, but I don't understand this. Right. I don't, I, I'm looking at it from a business perspective. We have a school group coming in they have booked a program. We have one person on staff that's allowed Native American storytelling. There was only one person on staff that could do it. She was elderly. She lived far away. And I said, some of these schools are going to drive an hour from here to get here. Right? They've paid their yeah. money already. If you get sick, if you get a flat tire, what do we do? Can someone yeah. else fill in for you? And we came to a compromise. She trained me. And she said, you're the only one. I will train you because you're the boss. And I will train you to do it. And you're going to have to do it in front of me. And you're going to have to prove it. But when you start, you have to say, I'm not Native American. I was trained by a storyteller. This is not exactly how it is usually. And here we are. And so that was one of the harder conversations to have because it was like... I want to preserve the authentic nature of this visit, but I also have to run the business. So how, and and so explain to me the importance of it. Explain to me. And at first everybody was shut down. It was like, no, this is the way it is. And then I would start saying, well, but explain it to me. And, and the frustration and the tiredness and the, the, the idea of, I can tell it to you, but you're not going to do it or you're not going to be able to help or nothing's going to change that they've heard for decades built up that they put up this wall that they didn't want to have those conversations where it's how can we give you a better voice? How can we make this more valuable? How can we make you more part 
of the conversation and sit at the table. And then they fired me. <laughs> that's the way it usually goes. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the way it usually goes. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's one thing white people don't get. Is that, so yeah, like, I, I understand that, like, that's the way it usually goes, sadly enough. Um, you know, for me, as a black person, like, as a person that has these conversations often, whether I want to or not often, like, whether I feel like I have the energy to have this conversation with someone or not, like, we, I'm tired, man, you know, like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I'm tired, like, I, 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 I get tired of having the same rinse and repeat conversations almost, you know? I, I get tired of the reactions. I get tired of wanting to center voices that should be centered in conversations. Mm -hmm. And for all the people who aren't that voice being like, ah, but do we really have to? Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of exhausting. It, it's, it's like you're, you're literally picking and choosing when you think my voice matters or when you want me around. Like, we don't even want to seat at the table at this point. We kind of want our own damn table. We don't really want to sit with whiteness at this point. You know, it's like, because it's getting us nowhere. Like, you know, it's gotten us nowhere. We want our own table and we want a sound system so you have no choice but to hear us as we talk. And yeah. we want your table to have shackles at your feet so you can get some uh, moments to have to sit there and listen. Right. Because it, it, we shouldn't have to have arguments or discourse about censoring the voices that should be censored in situations. Yeah. Like you shouldn't have had to have that conversation. Yeah. You literally shouldn't have had to be like, well, this is what we should be doing. Because technically it should be a given. Like, yeah, if we're talking about indigenous and native lives, right. we should probably be consulting and connecting with native and indigenous folks and paying them and compensating them wisely and smartly right. for being willing to do the emotional lifting of guiding us. This shouldn't have to be a discussion, but like I, I have this discussion often. Like I have people reach out to me and they, and I've had people reach out to me and they're like, well, I'd love to get your services. And I'm like, yeah, my, um, and I don't hear from them again. Right. Like, it will literally go silent. Like, oh, I'm sorry. You thought I was going to do it for free. Like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. If we have to do the lifting for you. And I think that's what deters whiteness often from even wanting to consult with persons of culture for their perspective. Is that, oh, we got to pay them? Yeah. Like, yeah, you have to pay us. You pay everybody else for everything else. You have to pay us too. Yeah. We want compensation. Where if we even have to train somebody to have the conversation, like you had to be trained to even be able to share this information. Yeah, it's that's labor. That's like literally work. That's like emotional labor. Well, and and, and I don't know why it's so hard to impart on people. I, no, I no. It's constantly looked at. Like, well, can't you just come? Like working in nonprofits. Let me tell you, everything is. Well, can't, well, how cheap can you do it? Or can, will you, yeah. you know, we'll do this for you later. I'm like, that's not going to do anything for me. I'm still going to spend 10 hours on this. Like, um, and, but coming from a, a, a position of teaching for me, I think the hardest part for me is I always want to share, right? I always want the stories. I always want the sharing of things. 
and and I watch and I mean I, I get a part of it's for me for growing up is you know I always felt like the odd man out so I always I always embrace the idea of sharing culture because my formative years of growing up watching movies and watching and music was centered around one of the one of the um, housing projects in New Haven which is one of our first cities. It, it was also called the Wild Wild West um, because it was so ridden with crime and drugs in the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. um, that it was it was just it was crazy um, yeah. being there. But that was what I was surrounded by. So my piece of it is it was always rap. It was always R and B. It was, it was like I I would I would have friends over and they'd be like, well, what do you want to watch tonight? I'm like, okay, well, I want to watch Friday. I want to watch New Jack City. I want to watch. You know, these are the things that I was brought up on and grew up on, and all my friends were watching, and all the people I was around. And so, and then my dad was Arab. You know, part of my family's white. Part of my family's Jewish. And and growing up in all these different cultures my perspective has always been can we share it can we take part in it can we celebrate it can we enjoy it and I my frustrations usually come out of hearing things like we 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 don't want to share we don't want to do this you shouldn't be doing that you shouldn't be doing that you shouldn't be listening to that you shouldn't be watching that and 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 it's a, it's a form of privilege. It's it's a form of like being able to have that experience and 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 being able to go between all of them. Yeah. Um, and having that opportunity. So for me, the hardest thing in all of this has always been wrapping around with, um, this is all stuff we should be hearing. This is all stuff we should be sharing. We should be teaching our kids the value in every single one of these instances. You know, yeah. we should learn about Beethoven. We should also learn about Biggie. Like, you know, we should learn about um, Spike Lee and we should learn about Chris Nolan. They, they're, they're both, you know, all of these influences carry just as much weight um, and value in our culture. Yeah. Um, and it's... And and I always get frustrated when people don't see that. Um, yeah, but I mean that that's what kind of kills me about being a, a geeky person and loving some of the things that I love is that I constantly grapple with understanding that I like some problematic shit. Like like you know I I I love me some Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino is a damn mess. That dude is a mess. Like, I, every time I watch one of his films, I find a new nugget. I'm like, look, it's not going to stop me from loving the product yeah. that he made. But there's mess there. It's mess. Yeah. And oh, the yeah. thing with the geekdom is like, the geekdom, like, that's film geeks, that's comic geeks, that's sci-fi fantasy yeah. geeks. Yeah. It, it's there's this barrier where it's like the geekdom doesn't want to address that 
they have these blinders that they have these biases that there's white supremacy at play it's you know it's it's people getting mad about black panther and being like well if they made a white panther movie they'd be an outrage like no because there is basically white panther movies you have all the movies it's called captain america like you got all the movies like movies are you motherfucker like (laughs) we got one and you won't be mad like all the superhero movies are basically about you and your people like they're barely ever about other races and stuff it's like can we get one without you getting mad it's like these things are mutually exclusive yeah race and enjoying things are mutually exclusive i can be black and love and love pop culture right. and love certain things but like i can also i also acknowledge my privilege in all of it right. like i can sit and be like i can sit and i have to sit with the fact that i enjoy tarantino's work and that i enjoy but that it's also very sexist and racist mm-hmm. and and at times, often tasteless of the way he likes to approach things. Yeah. And he really does like the N-word a whole lot more than the white guy should ever liked it. Yeah. <laughs> there's things there that I have to sit with as a viewer, as a consumer. And I can choose not to give him my money. Like, I still have not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Because one, I don't need another Manson movie. And two, I don't need to see Bruce Lee get treated like crap. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> it was so surprisingly different than i i would just say this it was different than i expected it to but he definitely the one thing i will say that made me really uncomfortable he definitely put the fact that he has a foot fetish front and center throughout the whole damn movie yeah i heard that I yeah heard that, that was like, the yeah, one thing that that uh, that's the thing i walked away from with it like so that should tell you how <laughs> much he put into it um no but i think and uh, you know what i i also like the idea that we talk, you know, we talk about how things don't change, right? We talk about a lot how, you know, these conversations don't happen and things don't change. And um, I want to say in the last five years, my perspective and my ability to be empathetic, because I always thought I was good at that. I always did. I come from two, three different cultures. I always have to not, I don't fit in. I don't, so I always felt but I found the chip that was on my shoulder that kind of carried throughout it and realized how how much I wasn't doing the work in in listening rather than putting things out. And it it has substantially changed how I enjoy things or how I consume things media wise, like you know, entertainment, toys, things like that. It has really changed how that happens like this week I stopped listening to a podcast because I had a really frank discussion with my girlfriend about the content that was on it and I started the conversation defending it and then spent a lot of time thinking about it and then tried to listen to it yesterday and was like I can't do it I understand it I understand the person that it is. I understand where it comes from. I grew up around these people that were like this and talk like this. And I realized, would I let my kid or would I be happy if my kid was listening to it someday? And I'm like, 
No, because it it isn't good. It it isn't it doesn't come from a place of of good nature. It definitely comes from a place of let's let's be misogynist. Let's be disrespectful to other races. Let's you know, yeah. um. And so I find myself changing, and and I think the biggest thing is I, I I've been watching all the CW shows, and I and I came to the realization, and I was like. I really like the flash as a show. And I think, I think I really like the flash as a show because I watched it and I realized that like two thirds of the cast are either made up of a combination of people of culture or women. Yeah. And to watch that kind of thing happen in what has been predominantly white, all the characters in, in, in comic book history to watch that kind of change happen and be embraced and be, you know, not called on when it happened, it was called on. But then afterwards people came around and, and they continue to grow on that. Like they continue to add more and more people of different races. They, you know, introduce more. So it's not perfect, but it's a, it's a step in the right direction. And it's, it's interesting to watch that happen. And, and accept it and, and then have the conversations about it going, oh, yeah, no, I just watched a show and the, the the main actor who's white wasn't in it at all. And it was all about all these other characters. And it was yeah. it was just as compelling, just as interesting as if it wasn't. So I, I, I like moving through fandom and I like moving through the geeky stuff. And I like also being able to start having these conversations to look for ways to to find new things to be introduced to new things yeah like and the fact that the fact that that stands out so prominently that so few shows truly represent more than one perspective mm-hmm. and more than one ethnography is supremely telling about the pop culture that we have been consuming our whole lives. Like right. when we look at comics, right? Comics are white. Ninety nine point nine percent of the yeah, characters they are. in comics, hero, villain, etc., are white. And it's like, and it's and it's always been weird to me. Like when you look at like a lot of these, like when you look at the Marvel universe, most of that's New York and California, right? Where the hell is everybody else? You know, like, how are you depicting New York and California? It's like friends. Yeah, right. Our friends yeah. had no friends of color. <laughs> no, they had living single. If you want to, you yeah. got to turn to Fox. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's always it's always so weird to me. Exactly, it's like it, for so long, persons of culture have basically had to make their own thing. Right. You know, like to paraphrase Kendrick Lamar, it's like you know we had to build our own pyramids and make our own hieroglyphs because. White culture wasn't gonna let us in as a, even just a character in a show. Yeah, like the the amount of work that's had to go into being seen as a form of entertainment that was more than just our race, right? For a lot of people and cultures, has been ridiculous. Like we shouldn't be able to so easily identify a show that has a cast of people from different backgrounds. You're right. You're right. That should just kind of be a given because we live in a society where 90% of us live in areas where 
it is a zeitgeist of people. It's not like, like, I mean, yeah, there are some folks who live in some very insulated situations. Right. Don't get me wrong. Like, there really are. And I mean, there are a lot of white folks who probably haven't even run into a person of color this week or in the last month. Or, with, you know, like, let's be real here. Let's be really real. But it's it's always telling that, and it always captivates me that this these things that we love, this pop culture, these comics, this geeky stuff, has is is been has been put through such a white lens that anytime it's not white people get angry and rebel. Like I remember when Miles Morales was created. Oh, the anger! Yeah, when Miles Morales was created, people were so incensed that Spider Man was black. And let's be real, yeah, he's black. He's also he's also Latinx. Yeah, let's be real. But the fact that he was a black brown person. And he was Spider-Man. People were supremely pissed. Now it's like, oh, Miles Morales. Yeah. It took years for us to get to the point where it's like, oh, yeah, Miles Morales. I like that guy. People were so mad. It, it takes so long for people to let go of these fictional things. Well, it's it, fiction. And and it was, it was uh, I watched, I binged two seasons of Titans, um, the, D, the DC universe yeah. thing. And I remember when they cast Starfire, they were like, they cast a black woman as Starfire. And and anybody that said anything to me, like, can you believe it? Or you know, I saw a post or whatever, and I'm like, she's orange yes. from another it's planet. She's orange, dude. It doesn't matter. Find me an orange somebody. Like, find me somebody that was born orange, and you can complain. Until then, shut up. It was so stupid. It's, those are the and she's amazing. That, she's amazing. Yeah. She's one of the better parts of the show. Yeah, hundred percent. That show has issues. <laughs> I actually liked it. I enjoyed it. It. it, it the second it, season was better than the first. Oh, one. Yeah, no, hundred percent. The second season was better than the first. <laughs> but I, I liked. I think what what got me was, um, it didn't feel, um, it felt more real, in yeah. that like language sex you know content like this is the real stuff that they would be it's not the idealistic idea of like oh the villains are the bad guys and the good you know it you know they were yeah so i i enjoyed it actually no um, i feel you on that yeah but, it's it's just you know we we consume these things and like look you know like i'm sitting in my office right now and i'm looking at all these 80 gazillion damn action figures i have and i and i really think about how many of these characters are persons of color, persons of culture yeah. that I own? And I realize that I don't own as many as I probably like to. But they're not there either. Because like, they're not there. Right. Like, it's not even not characters yeah. for, they're not action figures or statues or anything. Right. For a lot of these characters, like a lot of these characters are also ran random characters that are left on the seats of time like the one thing i liked about mattel's dc universe classics collection as as hit and miss as it was mm -hmm. was that they made characters that would have never gotten an action figure otherwise like come on i got i have a bronze tiger action figure because of mattel right who the hell would have ever thought we'd have a tiger action figure well you know and, what i mean it's yeah like, it's like that's not a character you ever thought like dc collectibles didn't even make a bronze tiger figure when they were making figures during that period of time 
when that they were handling all their own figure making. Right. Like I, I look at some of the random characters from different backgrounds that I have in my collection, and I'm like, there's so much that's not represented. There's yeah. so many characters that love to have an action figure of that I will probably never have. Right. Unless I hire a customizer to make me one. Or I get into customizing and making it myself. And it's it's interesting, you know? It, it's a really interesting thing to think about and see how, like, when Hot Toys put out the Black Panther line um, a year or so ago, mm-hmm. I was like, yes. Like, I'm sitting there looking at Shuri, T'Challa, and Killmonger. Who the hell would have ever thought we'd get a Shuri and a Killmonger? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Never going to happen. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's crazy. Like, I'm sitting I'm looking at my Miles Morales action figures. Like, I'm, I'm looking at, I'm like, I'm looking at Blade. I'm looking at, like, the amount of Blade figures I have. I'm like, who would have ever thought we'd have got a Blade figure? Like, and yeah. decent Blade figures. Like, decent stuff that yeah. represents the character. And it's like, wow you know <laughs> all you can say is like wow like you realize you consume so much of the stuff and this stuff is a part of who i am like i build myself as the world's greatest comic drawn pop culture love and hr professional like it's who i am this is a part of my identity in some respect it's a part of my intersectionality but i realized how whitewashed it all is oh yeah no 100 percent. i think you know i think what i i've learned to take from it um beyond who's playing it or who's the way they're drawing it is um the values and the experiences yeah because i think even though um robin or superman or x-men or name it name any of them um they put them through the struggle the hero journey the struggles um and it's how they hold on to i think that's what i take away and i've talked a lot about that or thought a lot about that of like where my values come from because i i I got put in a position i don't remember what it was for it was about religion and somebody said something to me and and i said i get my values from from these comics i learned how to treat a person or what what it felt like to be persecuted or yeah growing up though you know watching the x-men i think there was a cover or an opening scene where they were going to hang cyclops in one of the early x-men books um they were going to lynch him um and those are where my values or my ability to kind of not choose violence or not go against <clears throat> you know, those core values of hurting other people came from. It wasn't yeah. from Bible stories. It wasn't from community things. It it was those things. And, you know, I, I think that's where, um, I think that's where, where, it, you know, kind of cemented for me and, and to be able to kind of mm-hmm. push through all those problems to get there. But I think we have a long way to go, but I think it's changing. I think it is. I think it's, yeah, at least our I pop think, culture is changing for the better in some ways. And I think it's changing because we're not just stuck with network TV anymore, right? You know, like I, I look at the amount of, I look at the amount of projects being greenlit by Netflix, and by even some of the cable networks who are trying to be a little bit more ballsy. 
I look at Watchmen. I haven't seen it yet. Like, dude, like, I'm going to be real with you. Watchmen, I was not expecting that shit. (laughs) I'm about to to do another watch through with my wife because she hasn't seen it yet. Uh Um, Dude, like, I did not expect that show. I'm just going to be completely real. Man, like, there's no way that show would have been when when they put out the Watchmen movie. Yeah, like, what ten some odd years ago now. Yeah. We were not ready for that kind of TV show. You know what I mean? Right. Like, that show would have never been greenlit in that capacity. And I remember them talking about making a Watchmen show after that movie, mm-hmm. and that show would have never been the show that we ended up with. That show does not mess around. Like right off the bat, they're talking about Tulsa first episode. They get into marginalization. They get into tokenism. That show dives into some stuff. Like, that show doesn't around. Like, there's no way the show would have existed on the network TV structure that we had even five years ago. No. There's no way. No. And, and it's like, yeah, you're looking at, I'm looking at Netflix. I'm even looking at Hulu, who's greenlit some stuff recently. I'm looking at Netflix, like, backing black anime. Like, I'm, I'm looking at, like, Crunchyroll backing black anime. And putting it onto their Crunchyroll originals. Mm-hmm. I, I'm looking at like all of the different perspectives being brought to all these different streaming services. <clears throat> and I'm like, this would have never happened if we were stuck with the same Viacom and everyone else structure. Right. Because they it don't have to listen. Yeah. They don't they don't have to listen to advertisers. They don't have to, you know, they yeah. they don't have to live up to that and say, well we gotta sell Pepsi and we gotta sell Coke and we gotta sell McDonald's. You know, yeah. they don't have to do that. So you know, I, I look at like shows like um, my wife and I have been enjoying Legendary, uh, which is an HBO Max show mm-hmm. that um, basically celebrates ball culture. Um, and it's a great show, but it's like it took a lot of years and attaching a name person to the show mm-hmm. to even get it on HBO Max. Right. But you know, you think about. I, and then you go back and you think about the amount of television and the amount of films and documentaries that we probably have all have missed out on because they didn't have the white, right, white, the right white person or the right person of color who was acceptable, quote unquote, yeah. to get it through the bullshit of Hollywood and production. And it's like, wow, we probably missed out on some great stuff. You know, like, yeah. I, I feel sad about some of the stuff we probably all missed out on because of the structure of things. And I, and I think that you look you look at these streaming services and things of that nature, I think that breaks down so many of the barriers that were there before because you're dealing with Netflix, you know, like you're, you're and Netflix has no, they don't have to worry about advertising. They don't have to worry about making someone happy. Yeah. Like they, if you look at some of these other streaming services, it's not about being happy. It's about creating content for different audiences. And while I appreciate it and, you know, we could walk the line on some of it's probably a little exploitative because I mean, you're getting an opportunity to uh, be the niche market and to grab a niche market. Like, you know, it's still capitalism at the end of the day, uh, but it does hearten, you know, it does hearten me that like these things are there. Yeah. Like, you know, I was growing up when, you know, when we were both growing up, you know, the, these things weren't on our TV. No, like, no. Like John Stewart being the green lantern, the primary green lantern, in Justice League. Yeah. In the Justice League Unlimited and Justice League cartoon. That was a big deal. Static Shock being on the air for four seasons was a big deal. Well, and then you know? being, being used again in Justice League, like bringing him yeah. back. Like, 
that was a big deal. Like, I, I don't think, I, I also don't think people realize like these little miles of like, I know people who love Steven Universe to see themselves represented, to see the spectrum of, to see the spectrum of the queer community and the queer identity represented in a cartoon. Yeah. Was like, that's a big deal. Like, I, I don't, I, I think sometimes for the white hetero geek, the white hetero cis geek, I don't think they can see how little we are always represented in things or when we are represented with stereotypes. Like the yeah. fact that we're not as heavily stereotypes anymore, the fact that we can be characters and nuanced beings in properties that people enjoy. Yeah. That's a big deal. Like it, it's big. It's significant. And, and it's, it's, it opens people eye, opens people's eyes and i think i think that i think the fun thing about it is or the good thing about it is is that a lot of this stuff that we're talking about um is also geared in some way some of it not all of it you know, not watchmen but steven universe and a lot of the other shows are geared towards a younger audience too so yeah. you're starting those kids when they're our age are going to look back and say, Oh wow, those were good, but I can't believe how much they didn't have like, and, and now look where we are. And so it's interesting to see those kids are going to be making the stuff that their kids are going to watch and, and how much farther they're going to go with it. Yeah. Like I know as eighties babies, we love to talk about, all the wonderful 80s cartoons we had. I have over the last few years gone back and watched some of those shows. They do not hold up. No, there's very few of them that hold up. And and, and some of it is 100% because you loved it. Like, I can't watch He-Man. I just can't. It's just too ridiculous. Yeah. Um, It's it's super weird now to watch it. It's like, because I have have issues with it now. Just like, y'all couldn't tell that was fucking Prince Adam. Like, look, dude. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to out y'all or nothing, but dude, boy just got a tan. It's obviously Prince Adam with a tan. Yeah, how did you not catch? Yeah, but then I can sit there and watch Thundercats and be like, oh no, this still holds up. But it's a hundred percent just because nostalgia, uh, nostalgia, and and that was my show. So like, of course, I'm yeah. gonna. To this day, I can sit here and in my head play an entire episode from beginning to end and talk you through it without seeing it like it's yeah. how ingrained it is in my head um, yeah but, no, i feel you on that yeah and, and so it's cool to see the progression of cartoons because I, the see cartoons understand that young minds can understand concepts right because that's really what i think a lot of i mean yeah of course you still have the fun like the goofy fun stuff like i love teen titan go that's not helping anybody. I've heard just everybody says it's great. Everybody, true. yeah. <laughs> it has no merit. It's right. Completely. But you know, like you look at the Steven Universe, you look at Adventure Time, you look at like Star versus, you know, Star versus Evil, and you look at like Gravity Falls, you look at, you look at all these cartoons that touch on real, you know, have humans in them, like right. talk about things. And I'm like, I'm, I'm always really like, I'm always like, wow, we never really dove into this stuff as kids. No. Like the furthest we got was a G.I. Joe drug-free episode. 
where that episode I, will always kill me because literally that's the only time Cobra and G.I. Joe teamed up to kick someone's ass. And it's hilarious to me. It's like, they killed the drug dealer. Like, let's be real. They killed the drug dealer. They yeah. didn't show us that they killed the drug dealer. But they got, they yeah. obviously killed the drug dealer. And then they went back to shooting at each other. Yeah. So y'all got together for drugs. Like, y'all the fight. Like, you, you team up with a terrorist organization to fight a drug lord. And now we go back to fighting each other next episode. I, um... We were talking about um, Blackish was on TV. It would like we were watching something on Netflix and we shut it off. And Blackish was on, and I was having a conversation with somebody about it, and um, they were like, "This isn't funny," like, and I'm <laughs> like, "It it is sometimes." I'm like, "It's not like it, it it's definitely a statement. Like, there's definitely they're dealing with the topics of the day." Yeah. Um, I love Anthony Anderson. I think he's hilarious. I think he's a great comedian. And then the topic came up on like, you know, sitcoms. Sitcoms are supposed to be like modern family, like funny. Like it's you know, supposed to be like, you know, jokes, yeah. you know, good writing, community, the office. Like it's supposed to be all these kind of funny, jokey things. And I was like, Yeah, no, like when I was little, every once in a while, every single sitcom had the had the, the had episode. the serious one, the episode. Like I was like, I remember being scared of old white men because Arnold got kidnapped by the shrubs. Because the dude was taking the picture. Yeah, the photographer in his back room. I was so scared, and and because I think oh I think we were talking about we were talking about women being afraid all the time. I forgot what we were watching. We were watching some TV show, um, and we were talking about women being afraid. And like going through life, always being on guard. Like, is it a good guy? Is he, is he going to hurt me? Is he, you know, where am I? And I was like, oh, I grew up like that. Cause I saw the very special episode of different strokes. And from then on, I didn't trust anybody. (laughs) I always looked around like, who's going to kidnap me? Who's going to take me? (laughs) Those shows that that used to kill me. Like, the very special episode is coming because it would just happen in the middle of everything. Yeah, like the last few episodes, the tee hee ha ha laugh yeah. track. Yeah, and then boom, sexual assault. Yeah, boom, drugs, and it's like, damn, okay. Yeah, like we should be talking about these things. Like right. we really should be, but you can't go from jovial to that. Right. Like, no, you can't. No, that's why. <laughs> like, it was always so. Like when I really look back on it, it was always so weird. They would get so serious for yeah. So it's like you can't have this goofy tee hee ha ha show that's always goofy and not to be taken seriously, and then punch someone in the gut. But like we need to be talking about sexual assault. Right. Yes, we do. We need to be talking about kids being molested. Yes, we do. We need to talk about drug abuse. We need to talk about spousal abuse. Like I remember that was on Full House where. Um, the youngest girl, uh, Stephanie, I think. Yeah. Her, um, her one of her classmates is getting beaten up by their father. Mm-hmm. It was like you can't take Full House is corny. Okay, yeah. it's goofy as hell. How do you go from last week it was goofy as hell, and this week some kids getting beaten? Like, yeah, we should be talking about that. We should let kids know that they can go tell their parents or an adult that one of their their classmates is being harmed. Right. Yeah, we need that, but you gotta have a different tone. You can't just go from ha ha. To serious. Do you and remember? That was the thing that I think TV shows now balance a little bit. They do. Do you remember? That's what Blackish does a really good job of. Because Blackish talks about some real shit, 
but they still have moments of humor in there. For me right. as a black person, I find blackish entertaining because I see those moments in there where I understand the experience. Right. Like, and, I, and I think they do a pretty okay job of trying to convey what the experience is for mm-hmm. a black person. But yeah, it's not hee ha ha. They're talking about the black identity and black pain and black trauma. Like, it's not just a laugh track show. Like, yeah. Like, but I think we've gotten so used to a show has to be funny as hell all the time. Right. Or it's not a sitcom. Yeah, that's that's where it's gone. Do you remember the one that gave me the nightmares, too? Um that scared the hell out of me that anybody dressed in costume scared me for a while. Do you remember the special episode of the Jeffersons? No. There was a murderer that Wheezy saw from across her balcony in a rabbit costume. Oh God. <laughs> and that was like hanging out in the bar downstairs. And they're like, God help you going to see the Easter bunny at the mall. Oh Jesus. Man. Yeah, um, like yeah, that, yeah. that would mess me up. Well, I do not remember that one. I yeah, there was one, and then she was like, "I saw it. He was in a rabbit costume." And then at the like, it was a two parter. And at the end of the episode, there's a guy in a rabbit costume in the bar smoking a cigarette and just turns around and looks at her, and you, <laughs> it, oh, it'll mess you up for life. Um, oh man. That's messed up. Yeah, like that, it I is. I've never seen that one. I'm about to track that one down. Like, I, oh, man. And and the other one that, that got me was that I will never forget. Um, They did an episode about um Martin Luther King being assassinated. And I remember George talking to Lionel and the, you know, them looting and rioting around his shop and yeah. him learning about it and those also had the effect on me. So you're right. I think newer shows are balancing them better or learning how to talk about them a little bit better. Um and there's more media for us to watch to get those yeah. messages out. Um Yeah. But you so. know the Jefferson's is a good example of a show that talked about some real stuff very often. Yeah. Like they they really did talk about the black experience on the Jefferson. Like they talked about George having been come from nothing mm-hmm. and having to try to build this thing and trying to not lose himself and you know in whiteness being accepting of him and things of this nature right. and you know like and it was a perfect spinoff of All in the Family, Family which I think is one of the best sitcoms ever written because you basically in five seasons you get to watch Archie Bunker this pretty messed up racist white dude yeah change his mind on yeah. a lot of things like you you actually saw a human progression in a care a white guy who obviously had his views on things you saw him let some of those views go and acknowledge that he was wrong in some instances and it was funny at times but they also dealt with some real that they dealt with this idea that if you want to if you want to hear it you can address your things and you can change yeah like, I think, you know, we, we always talk about Archie being this racist. Because Archie's character was basically supposed to be a racist, which is hilarious if you actually know the background of Carol O'Connor, the guy that played Archie. Bunker. Yeah. He was a really decent dude. Actually. Yeah. And, and so you, you see him play this character, but you see this character evolve. And that show has always been interesting to me, and I, and I always have enjoyed it because that he, he evolved. And they dealt with some real stuff. Like, but he as a character 
They didn't just leave him as the same character for five seasons. No, no. He changed his mind. He grew. He he was yeah. put in situations where he you were forced you he was forced to think and you watched him go through that struggle. Yeah. And and it's like that little subtle nuance was always that was ballsy for seventies television. Yeah. Like that was supremely I mean, man, that was that was CBS in the seventies. That was It was one of three I mean, channels. Right? Yeah. That was it. I mean it probably also helped that Lucille Ball was over on CBS putting their boot in their asses and making them green light go. Like I don't think she gets enough props for the amount of boots and asses situations that she did. Make sure things would make it to the air and that they wouldn't be modified and heavily edited. Yeah. And she did a lot of behind the scenes work with Desi Wu. Like it's it's supremely interesting to look at her life beyond I Love Lucy. <laughs> I wonder and and I wonder like how because I don't have kids yet, but I wonder what my kid like. I grew up watching I Love Lucy and Dick Van Dyke and the Jeffersons yeah. and different strokes, and I wonder what my kids are gonna see from the past and see the yeah. differences and have questions. Yeah. Um. So, all right, we're almost at two hours, so <laughs> <laughs> we could yeah. probably go on for a lot longer, but I gotta. I got to get back to, to a couple of to be, It will be. It will be. It will be. Because we never got to the one thing I want I, that I, that had me heated. And I was like, eh, it doesn't really. Um, I understand it. why you were heated about that, though, too. We'll have to stop This podcast was brought to you by Jackson Studios. Jax!